The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. The following program contains topics particular to the LGBTQ plus community. Some discussions may contain mature themes. As such, listener discretion is advised. This is Pride Connection, sponsored by BlindLGBTPride.org, otherwise known as BPI, every Tuesday night at 10 p.m. on ACB Media One, and shortly after on all your major podcast catchers. ACB community. I am Margie, and I will be facilitating this wonderful program that we're about to bring you um, from BPI, Blind Pride International. And this is a fourth and final in the series on advocacy. And the subject matter for this evening is allies, period. And I would like to take this opportunity to introduce the rest of my panelists. My name is Debbie Grubb, and um, I've been an ally, LGBTQ+, since before I ever knew I was one. And I am so thrilled that have this panel with us for this last in our series. And I want to take a brief opportunity to publicly thank BPI for letting me have my dream come true and have this series of lessons in advocacy using as a model the LGBTQ community. And um, the reason that this came to me, well, several months ago, I read about the Stonewall in episodes. But what is so phenomenal is that people were being considered as mentally ill, unfit, sinners, cognitively impaired, needing a psychiatrist, not able to have one of the most foundational rights, that is the right to love whom they chose. And I saw what has happened in this community, both in general and in our ACB community. And I said to Anthony, you know, as much as has happened, what I see a lot is love and unity and common purpose and goals. And I want to take some of the early history makers and bring this to our community so that we can learn. So tonight, I'm so happy that you're here. And what I want you to take away with is the importance of love, the right to love, and the love that is shown by allies, because the ally community is all about love and acceptance. Thank you, Debbie. Vita. Okay, I'm just going to introduce myself. My name is Vita Zavolin. I live in the San Francisco Bay Area. I have been a member of BPI, actually, I'm not sure, maybe four years, but I've been a board member for going, well, I'm in my second year. 
besides BPI, I'm a member of a number of affiliate slash chapters in the California Council of the Blind, including Inclusive Diversity of California and uh, Golden State Guide Dog Handlers, my San Francisco chapter, Contra Costa. Thank you, Vita. Miss Ruth. Thank you, Margie. I go by Miss Ruth, no last name, please. Uh, I live in Central Jersey. Uh, I belong to the New Jersey Council of the Blind. I've been a member of BPI, I'd say about a year and a half. And I'm very glad we're having this conversation tonight. Thank you, Miss Ruth. Annie. Hey, everyone. My name's Annie Chapetta. I'm from New Rochelle, New York. I am new to BPI, but I am not new to being a supporter of LGBTQ+. I am a member of the American Council of the Blind of New York. I'm a board member on Friends in Art. Uh, I also am uh, a member of Guide Dog Users of the Empire State. And thank you for inviting me here tonight. Thank you, Annie. Leah. My name is Leah Gardner, and I am BPI's current president. Thank you so much for facilitating this, Margie. I think that First of all, BPI could not be the organization that it is today, 23 years in, without our allies who supported uh, BPI back at the beginning uh, when we were trying to achieve affiliate status. And it took many allies to help us uh, get our affiliate charter. And uh, there's no way that we would be as strong and as vibrant an organization as we are today with without all of you supporters. Thank you, Leah. And I am Margie Donovan. I live in the Sacramento area, formerly from the San Francisco Bay area. And I remember when we were voting and all the discussion on the floor to include BFLAG at the time, which is now BPI, as a part of ACB. And you know, It took me many, many, many years to realize that that was being an ally. I remember the emotions. I remember so much about that period of time on the floor in ACB. I've been a member of BPI for two years. I never realized I could be a member as a heterosexual woman. And um, I was talking with Anthony Corona one day and he said, you know, you should join us. I said, I can't. And he says, yeah, you would be an ally. And I consider myself an ally in many arenas in my life. And this is one that I stand up very, very proud for the LGBTQ plus community. And I am a member, um, I serve on the board of Guide Dog Users Incorporated. I'm a member of the um, ACB Capital Chapter in Sacramento. And I'm a member of the Golden State Guide Dog Handlers and My second big passion in life is audio description, and I serve on a couple of the ADP committees. Enough about me. I would like to bring Debbie back up to introduce our first formal piece of the program, please, Debbie. I want to introduce to you two people who really put the role of allies in a formal way, Dean and Morty Manford. And Jean is the mother and Morty is the son. This was recorded back in 1989 on a cassette tape. Eric Marcus is the first voice you will hear. Listen with your hearts because this is all about love, sacrificial love, and it is absolutely beautiful and it is worth your time. 
Jean and Morty's story starts with a letter. 1972, Morty was 21. He'd gone to a protest against the New York Daily News, which had published a very offensive editorial calling gay people fairies, nances, swishes, fags, and lezzies. At the protest, Morty got the kicked out of him by the president of the New York City Firemen's Union, who was never charged. Several protesters wound up in the hospital, including Morty. So it's 17 years later, and I'm sitting with Jean and Morty at the dining room table of the Manford family home in Flushing, Queens. Jean is a widow, and Morty has moved home to live with his mom. He's an assistant New York State Attorney General. I had a call from the hospital, and, and then I sat down and wrote a letter to the New York Post. Did you have any hesitation about writing this no, letter? No, I didn't. I mean, I was furious. Mm-hmm. Why were you furious? What infuriated what, what right did they got to assault my son and others? And uh, why didn't the police protect them? I guess it was the first time my mother sat down and said, yes, I have a homosexual child. Were you hesitant at all about saying no. that? No, I didn't even think about it. And I was amazed that Morty told me that he received such wide notice from that he had had so many calls at the time from what did you think of your mom? I thought she was terrific. It seemed to me, on one level, to be a very natural kind of reaction and concern and involvement for a parent. What I thought was extraordinary was that other people weren't doing the same at that time. What made your mother different? She's a unique person. I've always felt that Morty is a very special person. And uh, I wasn't going to let anybody walk over him question is what about our family. I would have to say that we were always very open thinkers. This was an area that they really didn't understand. There was a lot of ignorance, but they were willing to consider what are the prejudices that we're taught, and are they in fact founded in any reality, or are they pure prejudice? We'd all learned a great lesson from the Black Civil Rights Movement of the early uh, 60s and the women's movement. And I think my parents agreed that uh, the principles of civil rights for blacks and for women were just demands. And this was simply bringing into the discussion a new civil rights perspective. Did you have any idea well, at then, that time that this could come to pass, that you would wind up being in such a public position? You seem not like a very private person. Not at that time, but yes, I, I'm very shy, by the way. <laughs> and, uh, I would not have tried to. I've never belonged to organizations and never tried to do, to do anything, so it, it just happened, you know. Now, I was asked to be on a television show in Boston. and Well, the three of us yeah. went. We went out to Cincinnati. Uh, at one point, my parents appeared on a, a TV show in New Detroit. Orleans. Well, I would think five times in Boston, Cleveland, two or three times, Detroit. Every talk show in uh, New York City. Because we were the only people who were willing to go public. We felt that it was a way of educating the public, of you know, making people understand. And besides that, when I did march with Morty, you came to me and you said, uh, you know, he said, March, will you march with us? I said to him, I will march if you let me carry the sign. Parents of gays unite in support for our children. How did people react to you then against you? They screamed, they yelled, they ran over and kissed me. Well, will you talk to my mother? Uh, Wow, my mother saw me here, you know, and they they just couldn't believe that uh, a parent would do that. It was unbelievable. I had been in the previous year's march also, and the outpouring of emotion from our own community was
was overwhelming. Nobody got the loud uh, emotional cheers that she did. They were fearful of telling parents. Most of them wouldn't tell. And many had been rejected because the parents knew. I guess they just didn't feel that any parent could be supportive of a gay child. The symbolic presence that my mother provided was a sign of great hope that parents can be supportive, that the people we're closest to, whom we love the most, need not be our enemies, can be our supporters. As Morty and I walked along during that first march, so many people said, talk to my parents, and there were phone calls all day long. That phone was ringing. So that's when we decided, though, during the march, to start something, some kind of an organization. Yes. What kind of organization did you have in mind? An organization for parents. To talk to each other, to know that you're not the only one, and that yeah, each, because each person thinks, oh, it, I'm the only one who has a child who is homosexual and nobody was willing to let anyone else know about it, to get together and talk to people to say, look, there's nothing wrong with them. And an organization yeah. which would be supportive of the struggle for gay liberation. The parents group was a bridge between the gay community and the straight community. It was not so much what my mother said, but that she said it. I remember her many times saying, there's nothing wrong with your son being gay or your daughter being lesbian. You know, we've been taught by society that there's something wrong and society has been wrong. This is a civil rights issue. People had never heard this before. And to hear it from another parent appear, they expected to spend the phone conversation in tears with someone at the other end saying, now, now, dearie. But that's not what they got. It, and I think the effect was to make them stop a minute. You don't, don't believe just everything you're told by society, and that society could be wrong. For a shy person, Jean was fierce. And I knew it was her love for Morty that drove her. But it always felt like there was something more behind it. Then just recently, I heard that Morty had an older brother, Charles. Charles killed himself in 1966. He was 22. There was my answer. Jean wasn't going to lose another child. So Jean was determined to make the world a safer place for her son and the rest of us too. But she couldn't save Morty from a virus. He died from complications of AIDS on May 14, 1992. He was only 41. A month after Morty died, my mom and I did an event at the Gay Center in Manhattan for the publication of Making Gay History, my book. We read from Jean and Morty's interview pretty much what you've just heard. And then I introduced Jean. Oh my goodness, 300 people got to their feet and cheered. People wouldn't stop applauding until Jean came up to the microphone to say a few words. She was so tiny that her head hardly poked above the podium. Jean spent the last years of her life with her daughter Suzanne and her husband just outside San Francisco. She died in 2013. She was 92. She outlived her golden boy by three decades. One month after Jean died, President Obama awarded her with the 2012 Presidential Citizens Medal, which recognizes citizens of the United States who have performed exemplary deeds of service for their country or their fellow citizens. Jean's daughter accepted the award at the White House ceremony in her mother's honor. Leah, would you like to step forward with your part of the program? That was incredibly powerful. Um, I'm glad that was shared today. 
I had an anecdote that I was thinking of. This was actually when I was quite young. I, I was 13. It was near the end of seventh grade. And I grew up in New Hampshire, which still is a very conservative state. It was an incredibly conservative environment um, in 1989. And it wasn't the kind of situation that a lot of kids have today where they're are a school district that would have a um, GLBTQ plus student alliance. But a lot more schools do have that sort of opportunity now. My junior high certainly didn't. I mean, there was nobody talking about those kind of issues in any kind of positive way. You know, you couldn't go to a guidance counselor and talk about the fact that you were struggling with attraction to people of the, the same sex and what that meant. And I am somebody that, you know, on the outside, I've I've always sort of had that kind of stereotypical appearance of somebody who might be characterized as a lesbian. I had a good friend of mine at the time. And I remember I was walking outside with her to my bus stop and she was giving me a very hard time about my appearance, you know, that I, I had really short hair. I put my hands in my pockets. Um, she said, you know, you just, you look very boyish and you really need to get, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta get past that. If you, if you expect that guys are going to like you and I just don't understand, you know, why you do this. You know, I hadn't really fully comprehended sort of my sexual orientation at the time. And I remember one of our seventh grade teachers, the science teacher stopped this girl in her tracks and she said, you know, Leah can be whoever she is. If this is the real Leah and who she is, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Leah's personality is hers and hers alone. And she doesn't have to act in any other way or be any other way just to please somebody else. And I'll never forget that because that was really this first confirmation that Maybe everything that I was sort of struggling with internally wasn't something I needed to fear. It wasn't needed something I needed to uh, worry about. I think having that kind of affirmation from a teacher was really central to sort of my my positive development as I I really sort of uh, became quite certain that that I was a lesbian as as the years uh, went on, and I'll, I'll never forget that. I will never forget what what Miss Wetterer did that day. It was, uh, when I think about it, like over 30 years later, it was life-changing. Allies are absolutely, I think, essential to so many of us. Bryn, would you like to talk about your experience with, with allies in your life? I recently came out as transgender at work. And when I came out, I was, you know, honestly worried that I would run into transphobia and, you know, have a difficult time. I, you know, work with a lot of different people from lots of different walks of life. And um, I just wasn't sure how that was going to go. But upon getting rehired at my current job, my boss immediately without question was like, you have a support system here. And if any of your customers or any coworkers or anyone gives you any discrimination or abuses you, first of all, you're free to leave the environment that's abusive without any repercussions. But also, 
report it, even if it's small, because if we can nip discrimination in the butt and set a good precedent for the future, that would be good. You know, I was floored with how much support I got from my boss and the director of the agency and my coworkers. And honestly, I haven't had any need so far. It, nothing terribly horrible has happened yet. But I know that if something were to happen, that I have a good support system at work. And it, it just feels truly good to have allies who have my back. And I know that I don't have to be afraid of losing my job or upsetting the status quo or anything like that. Everything is at a point now where I feel comfortable being myself at work. And I know that I'll be protected if I were to face any um, discrimination. Anthony, please share some anecdotes with us. I think that we all have allies in life. And to try to, you know, rem- bring it down to one or two sometimes can be really hard. I've I've been very lucky in life and I think I've had a lot of mentors, a lot of allies, but there was a period in time in in my life and and I was very lucky coming out and my experiences, the family uh, that I had, um, I thought it was going to be a lot rougher than it was, et cetera. But there was a point where I was assaulted and up until that point, I had never had really a negative experience. And my world just was kind of shocked and rocked. And I was, you know, already in the work world. I was out of school already, and, and um, but young in the work world with a lot of responsibility. And uh, there was somebody at work that generation older than I, who probably should have had the job that I had, but was not nice to me up until that point, but not me or anything, but just there was no friendship or anything. And um, afterwards, you know, I was a lot shaken and trying to get my job done. And and I had a lot of anxiety issues during that time period. And um, he was really supportive and really took a lot off my plate and, and talked to me a lot. And it was invaluable to have like a pseudo father figure, I guess you could say, for that period of time to just kind of take some of the shoulder and to just listen and, and be an ally. I asked him a couple of months into it, you know, like, why is this your project? He told me, confided that he and his wife had three children. Only two of them were still alive. They had a child who killed himself at 17 because he couldn't take the pressures from the bullying he was getting for being gay. And um, it was a full circle moment for him and and in a way for me too. So allies can come from anywhere and for so many different reasons, but sometimes they don't even know how much they matter and how much they change someone's life. Thank you, Leah. Thank you, Brent. And thank you, Anthony. Okay, we're going to dive into our questions for our panelists of allies. And this first question is for Vida, Debbie, and myself. What compelled you to participate in this program, and why did you choose to become a member of BPI? I'm going to take this. Since I am facilitating this program, I saw the idea put out there. I sat on it a few days. We, we kind of knew who was going to be participating. And the call for someone to facilitate, I thought, maybe I'll give someone else a chance. And no one stepped forward, and I couldn't think of a better program to be facilitating right now. It's up against two other things at 5 o'clock, one committee meeting. And because I am such a strong ally for the LGBTQ community, 
I wanted to facilitate this and I wanted to be a part of it. As an ally, I can never walk in your shoes, but my shoes can walk right next to your shoes. And there's many areas in life in which we have allies. All of us in ACB, I am sure, have allies who are sighted, and there are allies, but we don't get a lot of grief for being blind. And the LGBTQ community still gets a lot of grief, individuals, the community itself. And I can't think of anything more important to do with my time in my life to stand tall and proud with this community of people who simply choose to express their love in a very different way than those of us that are heterosexual. Their love is just as pure. Love is just as strong. In one of our podcasts that we did, we were talking about the importance of joining and being a part of things and marching with people. And I said to people at the end, if this is too much for you, make a friend of someone who is different from you. So the reason that I am an ally of this wonderful community, the reason why, along with Margie and many others, I stood up when B-Flag and all the people who wish to start it were being spiritually tarred and feathered, so to speak, is people in my life. As I came to love people, I visualized them. I felt the touch of their hand. I heard their voices when people were discriminated against. I remember when our school, for example, was integrated. And I remember that I did the Mexican hat dance with a little girl my age of color. And I liked her right away. I thought, we can be friends. And from that moment on, and many other people of color that I, that I met, I felt attacked when they were attacked. And I have always had people of the LGBTQ community in my life. It wasn't something I planned. It wasn't something I sought. But two of my sisters and my childhood friends are gay and lesbian. And I can't tell you how much they loved me and I loved them. They accepted me. We did stuff together. I can still feel their hands. I can still hear their voices. My friend Craig, he came home to our small town to die of AIDS. And there were people who were afraid to touch him, to hug him. And I screamed at them. I said, this is Craig. His father runs the local hardware store. How can you be afraid to hug and touch someone who is dying just because he loves? I just realized that I had to stand with these people. And my friend Penny is, is still alive and in a long-term relationship with somebody. And, you know, they're just part of our lives. And it's always been that way with me. I'm in all of this first and foremost because of the people that I have loved and the people that I have been blessed to love me. And that group has only grown. But that's what drew me into all of this civil rights work, standing with my friends who I don't want to see treated in a way that I would never want to be treated. The reason I decided to join in this program is because I'm an ally. That's what ally means. It means stand up, be a part of what you believe in. And if I hadn't been here, 
as an ally and I was simply listening, I think I would feel alone. Here I feel included. I am a part of a family. BPI really is a family. I can't tell you um, how many times I've gone back and forth with messages. How are you doing? You know, just how was your holiday? Or I'm depressed today. It's real. It's honest. It's open. And that's one of the big reasons I joined BPI. I had friends in BPI and it really felt like family. So I am wearing a t-shirt today that says Ubuntu, U-B-U-N-T-U. It is an African phrase that means I am, therefore we are. I'm a big believer in this. We do not stand alone in the world. I have had advocates as a blind person, as a woman, as a person who's been overweight. I believe we should all be advocates and be allies to each other because the reason I am is because we are. And we should treat people not the way we want to be treated, but the way they want to be treated. So I just uh, thank you, BPI, for inviting me to be a family member. Thank you, Vita. How do you respond to people who are openly antagonistic to the LGBTQ plus community? Uh, Miss Ruth, if I may, you know, if I'm being honest, as Simon Cowell might say, not always that well, and I'm working on it. But what I've come to realize is that my visceral response of clapping back at them, it only exacerbates a bad situation. I'm, I'm learning to rein that in, but I do have some options if something is said in, a, say, a Zoom room session that I'm hosting. Since it's my own Zoom room, I actually can remove that person, and I will. But if I'm in someone else's meeting or I see something homophobic on the listserv, I do have the option of asking the host to take action or on the listserv, which I've done, emailing the moderator and lodging a complaint. The issue I have is in-person interactions. I'm really working on it. But if someone's openly antagonistic to the LGBTQ plus community, it's a challenge for me. And I guess it depends on the person. If that person seems completely closed to a conversation about why they're out of line, I won't waste my breath talking to a wall. But if I think there's a chance they might be willing to hear me out, I will explain why what they said was offensive and hope they will take it to heart. And I will pass it over to Annie. I agree with you 100%, Miss Ruth. I've been in situations, you know, where it's I've been very heated up about hearing the bias. Many times it's been with my family. So that's been very interesting over the years. Um, there are times where, you know, I have to decide, you know, based on the situation, whether it's really worth it to step in and try to educate or to just leave it alone. Sometimes I feel when I leave it alone, I feel like I'm, I'm missing out on a chance. But then I also understand maybe it's just not the right time for that person to be open. You know, in terms of my family, you know, I don't give up with my family, um, especially one of my nephews who was you know, he couldn't understand where his stepson was coming from. He didn't, he didn't understand uh, his stepson's choices. I actually, you know, would sit him down and just let him try to figure it out on his own. 
and uh, eventually he, you know, he understood. But I, I think that if I wasn't there to be, you know, openly listening and hearing and understanding his distress over trying to get his head around things, meaning my nephew, maybe they wouldn't have come to, you know, an agreeable state where they learn to love each other on a different level. That's what I have. Families are tough sometimes, but you've just got to keep at them in, in a kind and loving way. And, and hear their, their distress about it as well, because they're trying to understand and make progress in their own way. And now back to Vida. I come from a very traditional Italian family. I was born in Italy mm-hmm. and uh, grew up in New York City. I went to Italy last year to visit because actually most of my family still lives there. And uh, we were all sitting around a table, guests doing what? Eating, of course. (laughs) It was amazing food. And somehow this conversation came up about people who are different and the LGBTQ plus community, you know, that came around. And I just said at some point, well, I'm on the board of a a group called BPI, and I'm very proud of that. And there was this dead silence. And then the conversation just went on. One brother came to me later and said, I'm so glad you did that. He is also an ally. I actually didn't know that. So that was great. But he was afraid to speak up. I think it was a very powerful moment. A manager said to me uh, uh, some time ago, listen, learn, and lead by example. And this is the message that I try to leave people with who are antagonistic or uncertain about another community. Listen to what the person is really saying to you. Educate yourself, learn, and then go out, lead by example. And that doesn't mean that you have to, you know, uh, be a part of the the Gay Pride March, but it means you can wear a Pride t-shirt. You can wear a Pride button. You can speak up when someone speaks against someone else. I haven't been in a situation that I can recall recently where, you know, someone said something right in my face kind of thing. I'm not sure how I would react, but I am a New Yorker. So I'm hoping I would be calm and respectful. (laughs) uh, You know, that's my hope. I think I go back to this. When did you need an ally in your life? I think that's a really important question to ask other people. Uh, Because everyone has allies or they needed allies at different points in their life. Thank you, Vita. Many years ago, back in the early 90s to mid 90s, I was attending a church of religious science. We had a congregation of churches that were allies of the LGBTQ community. And I volunteered to represent my church. That was such an honor. And One of the things I find frequently is the, quote, born-again Christian community are often antagonistic. And there's one thing I say, because arguing with someone's beliefs and arguing the Bible, I will not get into. What I say is 
they're children of God too. It's that simple. We're all children of God. The other thing I say to people who think the LGBTQ community are sinners is, this is not necessarily my belief. I'm going to put it out there though. Is that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We were never given the right to judge. It's that simple. And if we think the LGBTQ community as born-again Christians is wrong, what do you do? You don't speak about them in a negative way. Pray for them if you think they're wrong. And I say that about anybody. If you think somebody's doing something wrong, don't judge them. We're not put on this earth to judge. Do whatever you want to do. Meditate, pray, chant, whatever you think is right. But do it between you and whatever you determine your higher power is. Describe a turning point conversation that made you know you had to join with this community. I I have been thinking a lot about joining BPI. The, The first person who came out to me was my uncle, and I was like 13 years old, and he invited me to his apartment in the city, and he had been divorced from his wife for a long time, my my older sister, who was like much older than me, six years older, invited me with, you know, go see him. And he just got a new kitten, this and that, blah, blah, blah. So um, we were there and he had, um, uh, there was another man with him and his name was Tony too. We were, you know, we had pizza and we were watching TV or whatever, just having a good time. And um, my uncle turned to me, he said, do you have any problems with a man loving another man? And I was like, no. And it was just, and I really didn't. I mean, I didn't even have to like think about it. I'm like, no. I said, uh, you know, is is Tony with you? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, you you're okay with it? I'm like, yeah. And, and that was it. That, and I brought that with me ever since. So I I think joining PPI BPI is a natural um, extension of that. And I'm glad to be here. This is lessons in advocacy that we learn from the LGBTQ plus community, but it spills over into every aspect of our lives. And one of the things that I keep telling people is look at the person. Don't think about a whole group of strangers that you don't know anything about and judge on what you think they might be doing. Think about this person that you know, that you have loved, that you have cared about. They're still that person. They haven't changed to you. Why would you change to them? So I think whatever the prejudice is, whether it's a prejudice against a sexual lifestyle or a race or a culture or whatever it is, if we can boil it down to a person, because it's so much easier to see a person, to know a person, to love a person. I want to finish by going back to saying something that Morty and Jean and Marcus talked about. As allies, we can say things to people that people in the community cannot say because we can say we're not of this community, but we embrace them and we love them because they're people. We are in your community and we can tell you this. It's just like Jean, the shy, loving Jewish mother who became incensed because her wonderful boy was beaten up for no reason, nothing he had done, nothing that he was, a person that he chose to love and how he chose to love. And it caused her to do amazing things. 
But what started the whole ally movement was a mother saw her boy. And if we in our lives, however it is we advocate and whatever equality we seek for people around us, even blind people who people sometimes are afraid to associate with us, there's so many things we could talk about. Boil it down to a person. Make it really personal and say things in a nice way, but in a way that you know they need to hear. And I think that is the secret of being a good ally, a good friend, and a good civil rights advocate. So my turning point was um, I was in a meeting of a blind seniors group, and someone told an, in quotes, uplifting story about how a man has to choose the right wife. And it played into gender norms and the roles each person plays. And it ended with this sentence, getting old ain't for sissies. And, you know, I've never considered myself an LGBTQ plus advocate up to that point. But for some reason, that just broke my heart a little bit. And it, it actually angered me. And I had to calm myself down because I had to present my report too. It, it just sometimes, you know, anger sets in and it leads to action. It just stayed on my heart. And, you know, if you think about it, that term isn't just offensive toward gay men. It's actually offensive toward those who identify as women as well, because a sissy is a man whom society deems too feminine, which equals weakness, which is, of course, ridiculous. So, you know, I looked for a way to add my voice to the chorus of those who know love is love. And that led me to BPI. And interestingly, the very first meeting I attended was Dare to Share. They threw me in the deep end there, but I felt welcomed <laughs> right away. What specific opportunities have you missed to speak up for the people living the gay lifestyle? What have you learned and what have you committed to? And what do you do as a result? Being involved in ACB and supporting other people who are blind and visually impaired, along with myself, I've been really immersed in that for so long. At some point in the last couple of years, I felt like I needed to do more. So um, I branched out, decided to learn a little bit more about the arts and how ACB supported that with friends in art. And then I just, Anthony had invited me on a couple of Sunday editions and stuff. And I felt like, oh, this is what I'm missing. Like, this is something that, uh, you know, I, I want to get more involved in. So I I think for me, uh, just as a person with a disability, just reaching out in general within ACB community and without ACB, I think that's just a natural progression for me as a person. You know, being able to shift and grow within yourself with those that you love and those that you respect and your colleagues, I think that's all a, a natural part of this. And I think BPI is a natural part of that. And, and I hope more people find their paths and spread their wings. By no means am I a young person. Um, so maybe that's part of it too. Maybe, maybe this, this whole path of you getting older and finding more um, unique and meaningful connections is what, what it's about for me. So today is my daughter-in-law's 30th birthday. When her and my son first got together, she was 19 and very homophobic. We took them to San Francisco so Brittany could see San Francisco. And she just kept making these awful comments like, oh, I don't want to see guys kissing guys. 
And I just ignored it. I just ignored it. I was annoyed with her because these are people that are my friends, not necessarily the people she saw holding hands. And what I've learned is it's important to speak up. And I will speak up, even if it's just to say they're human too. They deserve love. But the really cool outcome of it is I didn't have to speak up. It showed up in her life. She has two brothers that are gay. She's accepted and loves her brothers that are gay. Sometimes by not speaking up, we're not necessarily taking a proactive choice to be an ally, but it just happens in their life. And, you know, sometimes the universe will provide where we don't provide. It's just been beautiful to watch the evolution of my daughter-in-law's growth. So my missed opportunity um, actually happened kind of recently. Once um, recently, a friend who works at my hair salon, she drove me home after I got my hair cut. And I was wearing my pride t-shirt that day. So just as she pulled her car into my driveway to drop me at my front door, she said, oh, by the way, nice shirt. And I responded with a quick thanks and went into the house. And then I realized what she was asking without actually asking was, is there anything you wanted to share with me? As if to say, you know, by wearing this shirt, are you coming out or just making a statement of solidarity? And I, I wish that I had thought to tell her that, you know, as an ally, we can stand on the right side of history with all the laws that are being enacted now, taking us backwards. Let's remind the world we're better than this. So it was really a mischance there. It's also a social commentary of sorts. You know, if a friend I've known for years can't ask me straight out, because she doesn't want to offend me by asking, you know, we've still got a long way to go. How do you respond now when the pride lifestyle is bashed in your presence? Share an opportunity where speak out and made a difference. A number of years ago, I had a very close friend who was HIV positive. He was sick and he had to be in the hospital and uh, different things happened. And we were very, very close. And um, I remember at that time when my family and my friends kind of found out that I was spending a lot of time with this friend and that I was visiting in the hospital and that I was a big part of his life. Oh, my gosh. I just, you know, it was, oh, don't, you know, make sure you don't use the same toilet seat. Make sure you don't use the same bathroom. Make sure you don't drink out of the same glass. Things like this. And it went. I was so offended and so uh, angered by that. I really, I, I was so angered. I, you know, I just stood up for him. I just told people, you don't have the right information. This is not true. Read up. And I would even send them emails or send them websites. I didn't let it get to me. And I never told my friend. I guess because as I think back, he was going through such a difficult time. And I think maybe, and I never thought of it at the time as an ally, you don't do things because you want credit from someone or you want to be recognized or you do. You do it because it comes from your heart and it's because it's what you believe. That's where I was at the time. And I believe I'm still there. And um, my friend is doing well. So it was the good result there. Well, this is Debbie. 
I want to go back to talking about the rainbow and the rainbow connection. If you think about where that song started on Sesame Street and Kermit the Frog singing it to children and children's hearts, you know, that song from South Pacific, you have to be carefully taught to hate and fear and all that stuff. They don't know about boundaries and they don't know about, well, this person does this differently from us and they haven't learned that kind of fear. And so I try to tell myself a couple of things. Again, I do the one person thing or the people thing. But the other thing we have to understand is sometimes bigotry, which I hate as much as anybody, it is based on fear. So sometimes I take a moment to stop, even though what I'd really like to do is take an iron skillet and bash them upside the head. What I try to find out is, how can I say something to dispel a fear and to take off the blinders that these people have that they can't see a person, whether it's a person of a different faith, a different race, from a different country, speaking a different language? loving a person of the same sex, whatever it might be. But I try to say, okay, bigotry, there's no defense for it and we can't excuse it, but we've got to try to understand it because maybe if we try, one or two people in our orbit will see things differently. Everybody says we want to be an individual. But what they really mean is they want to be in a certain group and they don't want to speak outside that group because they're afraid they'll be ostracized and thrown out. I've never been that kind of person. But if we look at the spectrum of the rainbow, that includes every part of every color. And we help people see the unity of that, what makes that. That is very important to me. You cannot excuse bad behavior. It can't go unchallenged. But if there is a way or a misconception while still being true to the cause of equality of opportunity, equality of purpose, equality of placement in society, the whole thing, remembering that sometimes there is fear, fear of something you don't know, fear of being alienated. If we can remember that, it might help all of us, I have to think. Is there a fear issue here? And what can I do to dispel it? What can I do to address it, to help people see things more clearly and see what really is the rainbow connection? And I also tell people that when you open your hearts to people who are, quote, different, quote, from you, you open yourself up to so many more wonderful friendships. What can we in ACB do to better embrace and better include all of the minority communities who are a part of this organization? Well, there are so many things we can do. And one thing is to tell our stories. None of us is only one thing. So I'm a white, cisgender, straight woman in her 50s, but I'm also living with MS and vision loss. So I'm concerned about how we treat seniors and people with disabilities. We can remind each other that we've been on the receiving end of um, insensitive comments or disrespectful treatment because of vision loss. So try to extend empathy to groups, uh, even if you're not part of that group, and put into practice whatever version of the golden rule you might subscribe to. 
I had a Lyft ride the other day and the driver told me that the previous two customers had been rude. She said one was a rude black man and the other prior to that was a rude Indian man. She said, you know how they can be. I said, oh no, you're talking to the wrong person. I said, they weren't rude because of their race or ethnicity. They were rude because they're rude individuals. Now you're being rude by saying such a thing. She just clammed up. So speaking up at the moment, someone says something ignorant in your presence is really important. Well, of course, there's always education, right? So what we're doing right now, for example, we are on ACB Media. Um, we're educating. We're sharing our stories. Um, so right here, I, I feel is, is wonderful what we're currently doing. The multicultural concerns, they do a lot of wonderful stuff. I encourage people to listen in more with them as well. But I think what ACB could do is maybe have more sessions at their conventions that are about equality, uh, that are about equity, uh, that are educational toward different cultures introducing people to different cultures and different communities and hearing other people's stories and holding listening sessions is just as important as business. So maybe incorporating, you know, at least one speaker a year that talks about culture, that talks about equity, maybe focuses on different communities. And of course, even throughout the year to have more of these types of uh, sessions. I think this is a beginning. And I think having BPI is a beginning. When BFLAG came in, it was a beginning. We have a long way to go. We know that we face opposition every year when it comes to some programming. But that opposition, I think, is fear. One, one of the things we can do is to not react out of defensiveness. I would like to add a little parenthetical phrase to this ACB question. When I say, what can ACB do? As a member, maybe I should be thinking, what can I do? Who can I get to know and say, you know, have you thought about joining this affiliate? Have you thought about running for office? Have you thought about offering to help with something? Or so I think that each of us have to say, what can I do? What can my local chapter do? What can we do as a state organization? When I say, what can I do? It puts me on the line. And, you know, we go to this individual and maybe the individual turns us away. Maybe they don't want to. Maybe they're afraid. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't keep trying. So I'm going to leave this meeting tonight in a renewed effort of asking myself, as a member of this organization, I'm just one person. But one person at a time in my orbit, what can I do to bring people of, so to make this organization even more diverse and to ensure that people that meet all of our diverse qualifications, no matter whether, whether it's race or sexual orientation or whatever it is, that they have the opportunity to be involved, the opportunity to lead. That's what I'm going to take away personally from this question myself. All right. I'm going to conclude the formal part of this program and then hand it over to Debbie. I um, really want to thank all of our panelists who 
gave so much of their honesty, uh, their heart, their soul to participate in this and speak their truth tonight. I um, want to thank Leah for putting together her piece of the program, which is the LGBT community side of it. And I want to conclude my comments by saying we are ACB. Thank you. Any panelists want to end with any comments? If you have the opportunity at your jobs or if you volunteer your time even, get involved in a diversity, equity, and inclusion community. I'm part of that at my job, and they do a lot of different type of sessions. And then you start to invite your coworkers, and they invite their coworkers. And here we go again. We're spreading the word. So when you hear there's a session that sounds kind of of interest, whether it's BPI or maybe it's about guide dogs or maybe it's the multicultural. Pass that information on to other people. Encourage them to attend. I think that's another way to spread the word and for us to all be involved. Thank you, Vida. Well, I'm going to say, let's remember the love. Let's remember the possibility. Let's remember that we as individuals are ACB. And let's remember that the primary foundational core on which allyship is built is love. And let us use that love and support when it is needed. And thanks to everyone who has listened on ACB Media, who's been here on the Zoom, and most of all, our wonderful panel. And for Margie and Anthony, Let's be true to the cause. Let's keep marching together. Let's all find our place and color in the rainbow and shine gloriously. And um, we'll be back. Good night, everybody. You've been listening to Pride Connection, sponsored by Blind Pride International, a special interest affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. Please check us out at blindlgbtpride.org. Mm-hmm.